Welcome to the Heart of Soul podcast, an exploration of who you are, what you are, and why you are, offering new ways to investigate age-old questions at the heart of you. Hi, it's Joseph, and thanks for listening to the Heart of Soul podcast. In this episode, we continue the three-part series on the core reasons our species is confused, with an addendum to one of our previous topics, addressing the nature of divine as holoarchical rather than hierarchical. This is of particular importance if you want to have an experience and not just a belief of and with the divine. Then we go on to complete the three-part series and explore the idea that love is not primarily energetic, but rather emotive, which, like the other two premises we've covered, changes everything. In this way, emotion is not the problem for humanity, as is so often perceived, but rather the foundation, but never before appreciated as such. Lastly, I must apologize for a technical mistake that makes my mic sound like I called in from a 1980s landline. I'm still learning how to get our setup dialed in. I hope you'll bear with it because it was another great conversation. Enjoy. So we're going to continue then the um, episode two and three were about, uh, and I know Stacey wanted to add something at least to one. uh, And the first one was about uh, hierarchy versus holoarchies. And the second was about um, soul ages. And what we're going to mostly talk about today is love as not energetic primarily um, and uh, the sun is a metaphor for light and heat and emotion and all that. But you wanted to add something to the previous, so please. Yeah, um, I love uh, how um, you've structured the conversation in um, starting with wh- why the earth is so confused. Uh, and then we, of course, talked about that uh, the first time we, w- we did a run through here. Um, but the first one is uh, the planet uh, planetary consciousness factor is uh, completely conditioned to only experiencing hierarchies. And uh, we talked a lot about, about what the effect is that and how much hierarchical um, slavery to seeing only hierarchies as a background truth that you don't even notice it's so, it's so de- default, um, really can uh, take our, our heart eye off the ball of, of experiencing spirit. Um, and so uh, one of the things about, uh, um, about why so many people who seek spiritual experience, raw spiritual experience, and so you don't need belief anymore, is because they're looking for a God up in the sky somewhere or outside of them. So hierarchically, look, look at, look at uh, most of the, uh, um, the sects of religionism. Heaven is up there somewhere. Hell is down down there somewhere, and earth is ca- sort of caught in the middle. And in most religions, um, the earth uh, pl- the earth plane is disconnected from God. It's uh, a different domain altogether. And um, that's an artifact of the fall, right? The fall from grace. Exactly. Somehow, it's- God being all present in all places at all times, you can get out of that somehow. <laughs> somehow, <laughs> uh, it's not. In other words. Even though there's some languaging in religionism uh, structurally that uh, God is everywhere at all times, that's not that is not the picture they actually default to when speaking their dogmatic truths. Um, uh, 
uh, God, it's your job to find God, even though God has grace, of course, and um, can impinge on um, uh, human, uh, uh, the human theater, as it were. But that heaven, hell, um, earth caught in the middle thing is one of the screen, screens out the fact that divine being is a holoarchy, not a hierarchy. And so that the, the strata of heaven, earth, and, um, and uh, hell uh, really get in the way of, of us having the existential room to encounter divinity. You've got to accord uh, to a whole different uh, system because divine being, even though there can be hierarchies inside of holoarchies, it's a holoarchy. Divinity is a holoarchy. And that means, as we said, um, that which something is contained within is also uh, that we're contained within also is contained within us simultaneously. And the mind, of course, uh, uh, just short circuits uh, at this one, as we spoke before. So, so that means one, the very picture of the um, dualistic picture of God is up there and we're down here structurally and immediately limits spiritual experience. You bet. And there's, a, there's this terrible, good, nice way to say that. And there's this terrible sequela to that, is that um, in, in my w- world of experiencing divinity in a holoarchal fashion, there is a seamlessness to the consciousness universe. There's no, there's no boundaries. Uh, mm-hmm. God is immediate. Um, if I'm walking on the beach and I start kicking sand all over, I'm, I'm kicking God particles up. Everything is made of God. Everything is, um, is God. Nothing can be outside of God. Uh, and because nothing can be outside of God, neither are we. So that, that would go right, fly right, in, right into the face, as you said, of original sin fall from grace, um, that we have to somehow remake ourselves so God can, be care, uh, can, can, can um, reach us somehow, or we can reach it. Yeah, that's an unworthy base. That's an anti-self picture. Absolutely. That Christianity, yeah, Hinduism, Islam all share those. You bet. And that, that's, we'll get um, to that point about, uh, about um, the, the, spirit, the innate spirituality of the personal self. Uh, yeah. Either at the end of this uh, episode or the next one. I just wanted yeah. to bring that forward. Um, about- yeah, and what I just want to insert here the, um, yeah, and I don't know how much to, to do this because, it might take us on a lot of rabbit holes, but there are, are plenty of things that you say that a lot of esoteric spiritual teachers would very much agree with. Mm-hmm. But then at the end, you said very casually, uh, I can't remember the words, um, you said very casually about the, the sacredness of self. Mm-hmm. I don't know any other spiritual teachers who would say that, but lots of them would agree like, oh, of course, there's an aspect of us that is God, Yogananda, Spinoza, um, Plato, even, you know, the essence is in us. Um, but to say the self is sacred of and to itself, I don't think anyone said that. You mean, even Ayn Rand, the champion of self, would never use, she would say the self is awesome and like should be respected, but never would say it's sacred well, in a spiritual way. So, but, but look, look, look what you're, of course, you're accurately portraying um, all of those um, uh, characters and, um, and truths. But if it were truly seamless, how could the self not be part of God? Right. Uh, it, it contradicts itself right there, you see. And, and this is where so many of the half-truths of spirituality haven't been grounded in our humanity, 
because yeah. our humanity has been has been already decided as impedimentary to spirit yeah. when when identity offers that it is the foundation of spirit that that all of the spirit matter of earth is a condensate uh, within spirit uh, all the energy and matter is just condensed spirit and that's now that's seamless you see if it if it excludes our humanity or bodies or anything else, all those wonderful lofty truths don't, don't have any rubber that meets the road, literally. So that's what I wanted to bring forward here. We didn't quite get to that dimension of it when we talked about hierarchy yeah. and holoarchy. And we're going to talk more about that in the second set of three things that yes. we have about the, the, mm -hmm. the primacy of emotion, etc. So, you know, I mean, of course, how could the paradigm of identity, therefore, not be holoarchic, which explains why it's so difficult to talk about it in any kind of linear way, which goes back to the first episode where I was tearing my hair out saying, where do we start? How do we do this? Because, <laughs> right. of, like, where do you begin on a, a circle? Uh, because there's always some other point on it that seems really just as good to start with. So I say to our listeners, hang with us uh, for 10 or 20 hours if you want to get even some <laughs> sense of how big the model of identity actually is, because it probably will take that long. Yeah, I, I love your um, your metaphor. It, it could it could be even deep in another dimension. If it's a sphere, mm. then um, something um, on one side of the sphere will rabbit hole right to something at a, a completely different angle down to the bottom of the other side. And so in a holoarchal, the, the paradigm is holoarchal as the only kind of lens, a paradigmatic lens that can experience spirit would have to match or resonate with the structural nature of spirit. And all of these other pictures have segments uh, of truth um, that uh -huh. truth identity would agree with them. Sort of like carving a circle out of a sphere. It's like, okay, yeah, you can do that, but yes. it's not, doesn't represent the whole thing. And it's, there's truths in there, but it's nowhere near the, the whole enchilada. Uh, absolutely. And to make it the most simple of all, you can draw a straight line on a basketball, but it's not a straight line in reality, even though you can be, you can angle it and look at, oh, that's a straight line, you see, because it's, it's drawn on a curved surface. Mm -hmm. Similar thing only go four dimensions or five dimensions. And that's why we're, it's hard to, to not get sidetracked on a topic. Yeah, holoarchies change the very rules of uh, engagement in many ways. I, I remember uh, in a math class in high school, people, we had to, uh, uh, draw a uh, triangle, an equilateral triangle on an orange with like an X-Acto knife uh -huh. and measure the uh, angles um, because you can have a, uh, uh, they, they don't, they add up to more than 180 degrees. Right. Or oh, something uh -huh. like that. Yeah, sure, it doesn't yeah. follow the normal rules. Correct. Yes. Right. And exactly the same way as a, that's a fractal in our mental body. What you just, what, what we're talking about here is exactly the way gravity um, shapes space. Um, right. So uh, all of these things are fractals that we're talking mm -hmm. about, or, or we could say it the other way around, that the physical universe um, is, a, is a physicalized fractal of divinity, which is why it's so mysterious when empiricists try to overlay a hierarchical, a background hierarchical um, uh, uh, um, um, framework on it. One of the things I want to highlight here is um, 
one of the things I'm most grateful for uh, for learning from your teachings is uh, the the ability to think uh, holoarch holoarchically slash paradigmatically, mm-hmm. and I, I want to say that to our listeners because most of us don't actually even learn what critical thinking is, much less thinking paradigmatically. And just by listening to us talk, if you're paying attention and not multitasking, I would invite people not to do <laughs> because you just, you won't get it, um, is it will cause you to begin to think paradigmatically. And that is a radically different way of, of looking at reality. And suddenly things will make sense that otherwise do not make sense and cannot make sense. Things can get very, very simple um, when one thinks paradigmatically. And that's where, uh, as we talked a little bit about last time, uh, which maybe next time? No, no, well, definitely last time. <laughs> well, wholeheartedly speaking, it could be next time. Or yes, it could. Time. Absolutely. Uh, <laughs> Both are pa- true. Pa- past, present, and future yes. are uh, projections. You know, so that's right. Uh, yeah. Uh, so, oh God, what was I going to say about that? I can't even remember. The um, the thinking paradigmatically is sort of um, that's where these conversations happen. Oh, and I remember because. It makes things very simple and clear. And one of the concerns you and I talked about is uh, not sounding like know-it-alls or arrogant or anything. And what's tricky about that is paradigmatic thinking just makes things so starkly clear. It's hard not to sound like a know-it-all or arrogant. I mean, it because I can't even think of a metaphor. It's like like an engineer showing up to children trying to make a sandbox and like they just see the whole thing in a different way because they understand angles and weights and mass and it's just a whole other place and you know how do you get that across to someone who thinks oh well you think you have answers to you know millennia old philosophical questions which you do Uh, and what I sometimes want to say to people about your teaching is like to really appreciate a lot of identity on its deepest levels, you have to have a graduate degree in philosophy to just understand how philosophers who've dedicated entire lifetimes to these questions have argued and written and argued and written and not resolved these kinds of things. And you can say them in very simple ways and ways that are cohesive that it's hard to, for people to appreciate if they haven't actually studied stuff like that. Yeah, it is. It's been, been one of the banes of my, um, existence uh, trying to translate the vision uh, through obstructive mental body and willful body distortions Mm -hmm. created by the paradigms, pre-psychological, religious, and spiritual paradigms that are not grounded in what we know now about how consciousness operates. But, you know, and and it just reminded me of something else here too, Joseph, about the um, know-it-all thing. Uh, there's there's two dimensions to how a listener might hear, oh, these guys think they're masters of the universe or something. Um, uh, the fact is that you can be passionate about something, which um, I, I don't know any other way to be. I wouldn't even say I'm passionate. I have no choice about it. It's not a choice to be passionate. It's, it's my whole life. It is my life in its entirety. Um, you can be passionate completely without... Uh, orienting to your truths as absolute. And very few people actually can do that. And that, that's the point I'm making, Joseph, yeah. is a pat when you when someone like myself uh, is passionating, 
um, uh, uh, it's really easy because you don't have any reference point of someone being passionate without gripping their truth as absolute, which identity uh, says uh, is impossible for any human being. So everything yeah. we're saying, no matter how passionate or what seems like masters of the universe smugness or something, I, I just would love to jump through the screen or the microphone and say to all of the listeners that um, bear with us um, because uh, no one can know absolute truth, yet your Pope or your Imam or uh, your, your priest at, the, at, the, at, at, at Sunday Mass they all believe they're in non-negotiable truths, that, that, that these are absolute things, whether they're handed down from God or an, an atheistic empiricist says uh, consciousness is a, a product of gray matter. Um, these are all non-negotiable truths or else there'd be no atheists. There'd only be agnostics. Right. If, there was, if there was doubt room, right? Yeah. So uh, absolutism closes down dialogue. Um, and, and only can go to pedagogue. So, so is the, the reason, I mean, when people hear passionate uh, advocacy about something, we tend to just automatically assume that that person thinks they have absolute truth. Is that because the, the person themselves thinks they have absolute truth? Why do we do that? Um, uh, whether or not they're conscious of it, any religion, diehard religionist, uh, on the planet, no matter what which version of religion religionism you have, over grit, especially the clerical side of things, they, there's no negotiation in their their truths. And as we, I think we mentioned last time, the degree you need absolutism uh, for your truth is the degree you actually are in doubt of it. So you need that yeah. that leather bound um, uh, truth to hold it together for you. Whereas if you hold your truths in open hands. You, you don't have to be absolute. The most identity could say uh, is our, the truths are offered uh, as universal truths to be tested, to be yeah. tested, not to be believed in. And, and I've, I've had to learn the hard way that I, that's been my truth my whole teaching life for the last almost 40 years. And, and that's I, I, I didn't energize that. I, I, I taught it, but I energized it as if it was absolute. And I never held it that way, yet that's how it came up. I've, and I've certainly been guilty of the same. Sometimes we just have yeah. to go through that. It, you know, it makes me think of what a good scientist would say. These are the data. This is what it shows. This is the way to make sense of it. This is what I think is the case. And they would be completely open to new data, which would cause mm -hmm. you have to rethink the model. I'm sure Einstein and Newton and Euclid and all these people like, you know, who were created the building blocks of science must have had some doubt space around it because they wouldn't have arrived at what they arrived at without it. Yes. So it's, it's not like some unique, impossible perspective to have that just in the domain of spirituality, we tend not to see it at all. Exactly. Uh, and Other science domain, is losing it too, though. Yeah, science, especially the last couple of years, Yeah, uh, which is another whole story, of course. Mm -hmm. um, but anyway, that, I just wanted to bring that piece forward too, because um, passionation and absolutism are not necessarily uh, um, um, uh, marriage partners. <laughs> I kind of go, I like to say I go steady with my truths. Um, I, I, I don't, I'm not married to them. <laughs> And I've been, I myself have been the hardest person on the uh, assumptive 
um, uh, the assumptions of this paradigm than anyone else. Uh, no one has ever um, been more look at, my, at their own paradigm with as much critical thinking. Every day, I still search for contradictions and and yeah. things that don't fit together. And it's been almost forty years. I haven't found one yet. The only contradiction was my own human foibles and learning painstakingly in the hard way how to match the purity of the paradigm in some resonant way um, so I could deliver embody it instead of um, uh, 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 pu pushing it out because another side effect of this Joseph another rabbit hole here is that this is this discussion these podcasts are an invitation We're, we don't we're, identity does not seek followers. Uh, um, as we said in the second point, uh, the soul age uh, mm -hmm. of, of the average person um, wouldn't be listening uh, to this podcast and bless their hearts. That, that's, they've, got, they've got food in those other domains, but older souls simply don't have a value system and a spiritual picture from top to bottom and side to side that matches their experience which they can into it. Oh, that's that's fifty percent right or twenty percent right, but something's wrong here. I don't know what's missing. Yeah. So another point to make. Yeah, and people. I mean, the proof is in the pudding. People self-select. I, I would suspect if people started from the beginning, uh, we would have lost lots of people just after the first thirty minutes. And mm -hmm. and we look at that as a good thing. Yes. Don't waste your time engaging in right. stuff that's right. not going to serve St you. Stick with your well. You're with with what makes sense to you. Yeah. And uh, take it until it literally dead ends for you. Although. <laughs> Many times we need help in knowing we have hit a dead end because we're on automatic yeah. and we don't critically assess um, month to month, day to day, our value systems. So, yeah. yeah. Well, we've been talking about what we're going to talk about for yes. uh, a long time. We should probably get to what we're supposed to talk about, which is okay. the, the third reason why the species is confused. Why, what is that? Um, well, because... The since the onslaught of the age of reason, and I think therefore I am, um, dominates the uh, uh, most um, of the um, evaluative domains of, of value systems. Now, that sounded complex. It's really simply that that without knowing it by default, logic and non-contradiction are inborn in when we're trying to defend or even evaluate value systems. And the reason that's important is because uh, you, we're always guilty of reductionism if it just happens that our existential definition of self is, I think, therefore I am. Um, that is an identity's uh, a picture of things does not uh, uh, resonate with the, actually the reality of realities. I think you got to unpack uh, reductionism for people. Oh, sure. You got to um, explode that one for us. <laughs> sure. Um, uh, for example, um, uh, Eastern esotericism, which we haven't talked much about so far, mm -hmm. Eastern es esotericism uh, defines the I uh, as completely 100% created by the way the mind works. And so what it does is the entirety of a sense of I is uh, completely held inside the mind. And of course, uh, atheistic es esotericism and empiricism would agree, no God, um, no, no, uh, all, everything goes black at death, all that stuff. Um, so what in identity's picture, um, the mind eye is simply um, 
are an avatar uh, on the desktop of our soulful consciousness uh, uh, as, um, uh, but upstream of it on the hard drive of the soul being is a soul eye. And what happens is reductionism in philosophy is when two things that shouldn't be conflated are conflated and uh, it squeezes out all the oxygen out of a whole, a whole domain here. In other words, if, if, uh, if it came out that um, the eye of the mind identified as an illusion in Eastern esotericism was a faulty assumption that drove all of their dharmas, finding the fact, finding out that, and this leads right into our next point, that there is a real soul eye after all, that the Buddha and all of, and the Advaita Vedanta and the Buddhas, Buddhists um, simply have um, a thrown away in the purity of the Buddha's message, for example. So reductionism is squashing two things together that should be um, hierarchically or holoarchically uh, distinct. Okay, that's a different use of reductionism than I, I usually think of it as um, uh, that the, the whole can be understood through the sum of its parts. Oh, sure. That's another okay. yeah, better. That's, some, yeah, that's bottom up. No, thanks. Yeah. Okay. That's, that's actually uh, clarifies the whole thing. Mm-hmm. So, so that's what our, our next point is here. It, it relates to it. Um, this is a since moderate since the age of reason and the ri- rise of scientism in our human world, uh, everything has been reduced to energy. Uh, everything, um, mental states are energetic, physical states are energetic, gravitational domains are energetic. Everything's energetic. And especially um, where, where the, the rubber doesn't meet the road from identity's point of view only, um, that uh, they, emotivity, which is a word I had to make up myself, um, our emotive natures are also in, in a, caught in a reductionism as only being um, uh, energy. Uh, and so, again, like hierarchy and holoarchy, love that so many how many paradigms joseph um say the god is love you know and that's all it is blah 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 when it's not being wrath yeah it's somehow <laughs> yes. love it's somehow sense. love but th- there's a really interesting diet uh, dyad that we should uh, unpack someday here soon mm-hmm. too. Um, but what what's important here is that identity offers and this is self-validatable uh at some point that what we call love has so many different dimensions depending on the value system, but divine form of love is prior to energetics. In other words, um, uh, uh, the love of which divinity is made and the love of which by, by down, downline fractal uh, expression, everything in, in, in we experience, including our experiencer of experience, is made of love if there's a God and God is love. Uh, and so what identity offers actually a, a structural uh, challenge here that um, there is an, there is an, there is, there's a metaphysical triad that applies to all domains, essence, form, expression. And we're, we're talking about divinity, we're talking about essence, and then secondarily, essence goes into form, and then form uh, tertiarily goes into expression. The essence of, of divine love is 
that which out of which energy comes. Mm-hmm. In other words, you can't unpack, you can't deconstruct essence. You can deconstruct expression, you can deconstruct um, form back to essence, but you can't deconstruct essence. That's the nature of the beast of essence. Otherwise, it wouldn't be essence, yeah. Cor- correct. So there's a way to experience divine love upstream of energetics. And, and that means, and we'll get to the metaphor here in a moment, that means that there is something divine that we all carry that's prior to its form as energy and its expression as matter in, in, this, in this particular triad here. Give us uh, an example, though, of what paradigm um, presents love as energy. What does that look like? What paradigms? I mean, I guess the answer is most of them. But I, I, can't, I can't think of anyone that doesn't. Right, when, but, but when pressed, yeah, but but um, how does that actually? What does that actually look like? And how from their do, point of view, yeah, because you hear people say things these days like, "Oh, it's all energy." You know, you, if you put that energy into it, then blah blah. You hear that, but there's something a piece missing for me. Like, how is it that Christianity, even in esoteric forms, for example, pr- um, hold divine love as energetic rather than emotive? Yes, um, it's because we're conditioned to only relate as to as real that which can be measured by an I think, therefore I am existential orientation. In other words, you're going to energize, energy looks like essence because we can measure energy. You can't measure what we call in the identity I-core, I-core, which is the essential love nature of divinity of which we are a part. So uh, uh, the I-core or the essence of divine love is Uh, uh, pre-energetic. It allows energy to flow out of it. And that's another interesting conversation that we can have. So when you're saying other paradigms, all, all they're doing is borrowing from scientism of measurability. And they're trying to uh, shoehorn their spiritual pictures into a cogent, I think, therefore I am logical format. Well, maybe another way to come at it is what, what are the, what's the impact of not reaching the emotive level and only operating with <clears throat> divinity at the energetic level? What does that do? Um, what it does is it keeps us out of our essential nature of ourselves and each other. Uh, at root, um, everyone who's listening here has a divine root, an energetically human form, and uh, a combination of spiritual and human expression. Okay? But we're not conditioned to go so deep inwardly. The, the, the algorithms to go inward are all energetic, associative um, Uh, always looking in mirrors and you have to break the mirror. You have to learn to break the mirror to get past the reflection of energy into the essence of, of, of all of us, which Uh is divine. divine Here's another door into that. How is it that you would see mainstream psychology as staying at the level of energetics rather than emotive? Because a lot of therapists would probably say, Oh no, I do very deep emotive work with my clients. How are Um, they falling short in your picture? 
Boy, that's a there's another whole topic. Of course, I love I, I love our rabbit hole. Uh, <laughs> there's another thing. one. Yeah. Um, well, because what they call emotion, identity, would just call feelings. Uh-huh. Uh huh. There is there are um, there are emotions. Once and once those emotions start to come into form, they become feelings. In other words, here's a good example. Um, if uh, if um, someone is bored, uh, mm-hmm. um, uh, and and they go to a therapist and say, you know, I just can't shake this this boredom. It's it's undermining. It's unplugging all my energy, and I don't know what to do. I don't know what my purpose on earth is here. All that stuff. Um, identity goes. Well, wait, uh, boredom is not not an emotion. Boredom is a feeling, and the true emotion under boredom is is anger. Uh-huh. If, you, if you dip down past uh, boredom, someone in the being is pissed. Someone's pissed that life isn't giving them the richness and the and the depth that 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 one is uh, craving. Um, there's no way I, I can't even. I, I don't even know what boredom means. I don't know. I, I've never been bored in any moment of any of my life, waiting in hospital rooms, waiting. I'm never bored. Even at the DMV? <laughs> well, no, there I get aggravated. That fills the boredom space. <laughs> yes. I, I watch the energy of the people uh-huh. uh, uh, who are dispensing the service. And I see, oh, that, that person is... Um, uh, is 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 slowing down the whole thing because their own mental body can't stay with the present now. So they've got to mm-hmm. say things four times, and yeah. or, or or someone in line who can't understand. Uh, yeah, it's it's just hard to um, to bear sometimes. But boredom is a whole other animal. Uh, divinity is filling every moment at every in, in every uh, moment, and so well, how can you be bored when you're witness? and consciously abiding with that. So a typical therapist would work with the boredom, how at the level of energetics, rather well, than going um, looking for anger, for example. They would say, well, what interests you? What, yes. what, is that, what is it that your value system is somehow keeping you from attaining? Let's, let's unpack your childhood a little bit. We don't want to make you a victim though, because uh, too many uh, uh, we, uh, therapists now, uh, don't want to look at childhood anymore. They, they've gone the whole practical route. Let's, let's deal with what is today. And that, that sounds good, but all you're going to do there is um, you're, you're going to dress up the wounded being and not heal it from the bottom up. So we're getting a little ahead of ourselves, but the point here being that one of the reasons the earth is so confused is that they don't know the difference between divinity love, which is the essence of us, and healthy forms of the form and expression of love. We, we, the, the world, in, in, in my opinion, Joseph, is not suffering from any lack of love. It's suffering from a lack of mature love, emotively mature love. We didn't, we didn't connect the dots. I'm sorry, this might be even more confusing. Uh, um, if divinity is made of divine love, that's an emotive dynamic. It is not a mental dynamic. It's not an energetic uh, dynamic. It's upstream of energy. As we it's just it's not a willful it. dynamic. It's, it's not a willful dynamic. It's an emotive dynamic. And if it's an emotive, if, if the essence of divinity is emotive, wait, wait, 
so are we. Not mental, not willful, not physical, not transcendental. Holoarchically speaking, if Holo-archically. we can recognize the divinity in us, then yeah. Yes, exactly. We are emotive form and expression uh, fractals of divinity's essence. Because we're inside of divinity at the same time divinity is inside of us, right? Mm-hmm. That spark, that divine spark of which, you know, other people speak to. But emotivity is our essence of being. And that's why identity is based on the, uh, the consciousness orientation of we feel, therefore we are. Not I think, therefore I am. I have a will, therefore I am. I am unworthy before God, therefore I'm worthy before God, uh, or uh, the I is non-dual, therefore I is not. Um, that, those, those four or five dominate virtually 98% of the uh, paradigms on earth, and the ones, the other 2% are just flailing. While the paradigm subscribers don't even realize that their paradigm could be summed up that succinctly. Yes. That's what you, I love what you said earlier about paradigmatic thinking. Mm-hmm. What are the essences out of which a paradigm grows? It's not the content. Um, uh, I would agree that um, not killing someone, uh, that would resonate. Uh, uh, killing someone is not good. So I'd resonate with whatever commandment that is in Catholicism mm-hmm. or, or Christianity. But just because we agree on that content, we are universes apart on the assumptions of the nature of consciousness. So you can't compare when you think paradigmatically, you're always looking for the essential nub, the essential truth of a paradigm and those or existential orientations, definitions of the I, I think, therefore I am, I have a will, therefore I am, um, uh, I am unworthy before God. So I am, I am worthy before God. Um, uh, 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 and uh, the I is non-dual, therefore I is not. Uh, those, those are inborn and they're so by default conditioned to us. We don't have meta to see that they're operating, just as you said a moment. We'd be, if we don't consciously experiment, if we don't consciously test that, exactly. we become the test. Exactly right. Just like they say I, in social media, if there's if you're not paying for a product, you are the product. It's oh, the yes. same kind oh, of nice. thing. Oh, nice. You become the test. That's and, exactly and, right. And it makes it a lot slower learning process because you're going, you're because as we said before, we're all philosophers testing uh, paradigms, whether we realize it or not. So what we're really calling for in one way, in a minimal way, is be aware of the paradigm that you're in so that you can test it more quickly and dead end faster if you're going to dead end. Yes. Oh, really well put, Joseph. Um, I never quite thought to put it in that phraseology. Uh, if you're not aware of your paradigm, you can't test it. And, and, and that's how unconscious our paradigms, how they've numbed us to our divine spark Uh, especially religionism and so many forms of even religious philosophy are too much based in, um, and I think therefore I am. Well, and then that's the absolute truth, because if it's here, this is the case, this is absolute truth. Well, it's already presented for you as this is not for testing. This is how it is. And if it's conditioned into children, well, they just grow up as this is the way it is and they become the test and the suffering is the results of those tests, unfortunately. Yes. And, and that's why paradigmatic dissonances with reality, the objective reality that allows all of our subjective realities to unfold within. Uh, we could, that's another, there's another rabbit hole. So many, especially. Say that again. Terrible. I didn't follow that. Say yeah, that again. Um, um, 
what did I just say? say it again. I have no idea. That's what I was just saying. <laughs> what, no, I what was the words? Like, what was the words? I, I, I was already going on to the it. next thing. I have to stop and go backward now. That's fine. That's fine. Um, just doing my job. I had to admit I didn't get it. <laughs> no, that's great. Uh, I don't often have senior moments uh, at age 70, but I just have, I'm having one right now. What were, what was the line we were talking to? <laughs> I said something about absolute truth and conditioning. And it was about not being able to test the paradigm. If you, you can't test it, if you are it. Right. And then you said something and we may have lost the thread. That's just a byproduct of what okay. happens to you. In a holo in a, in a consciousness holoarchal universe, it will come back around again. Sure. So, so yeah. let, let's let's put a um, a, um, a circumscription around uh, okay. this topic a little bit here, um, and and use a good metaphor as you referred to earlier. Um, if we try to deconstruct love, which has to be felt, you can. Someone would say, "Do you love your uh, father?" And uh, well, yeah, I do. Well, prove it. Love is not a, 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 a provable, measurable thing. It's a felt thing. And because it's just just a felt thing, it's deemed uh, lesser in the hierarchical value system. Emotions are what's causing all the world's problems. The emotions, all of our, of our crazinesses and our passions, and we got to get more rational and we've got to get more calm and serene. Controlled everything. Um, and, and identity steps and says, uh, time out, time out, emotion, emotivity is the foundation of humanity, not its impedimency. Wounded emotion has the power to um, uh, slow us all down for sure and impede things. But the purity of emotion, which I have to make of a word, emotivity itself, the capacity to have emotion is emotivity. That mm -hmm. capacity comes out of a divine, a divine source uh, in, in all of us. So if, if divine, divine being is love, we're, we're made of love, but not the kind of love that, that is weighable on a scale. It's not even measured by its effects. Uh, Charlie Manson, um, uh, Adolf Hitler, Stalin, who was even worse than Hitler. Uh, um, these are all pieces of God. Darkness and evil exists inside the seamless divinity of love of divine being, not separate. In other words, there is evil inside of God. How is that? No religion can make that, put that together and confront it epistemologically. All they can do is uh, talk around it, that somehow that's an aberration of the system. But where does our capacity to do evil, Joseph, where does it come from? Where does everything come from? From our divine source. So what translates what in divine being allows evil to be? The standard question of, well, there can't be a God that wouldn't allow evil, right? Right. All, all the correlate is divine being is constantly unfolding into itself, into an unknown next version momentarily of itself. Going into an unknown, by the time it trickles down to this condition, malconditioned world, uh, unknown is scary. And if it's scary, it's dark. And if it's dark, it's evil. All of our evil, all what we call evil is simply 
um, our inability to cope with the unknown of the next moment. Mm. So, so that's why um, it's, it's spurious to say, well, there can't be a God because of all the evil. Wait, no, wait, there's a source in God for evil. The only reason it gets downline translated to evil is because we're malconditioned to be wounded in our soul. Everything, psychology wounds us, philosophy wounds us, our parents wounds us, our institutions wound us. They all wound us to the degree they don't see that emotivity is the prime primacy of human nature. Emotivity, not emotions. Emotions are discrete unfoldments of our capacity to emote. Emotion, right? And once it starts moving, but there's a couple of layers of what when it moves. Um, so the dynamic that we're talking about here is the metaphor that you used. Let's bring it down uh, out of the loft, lofty uh, philosophy here. The light of the sun is secondary to its heat. Light is a great metaphor for wisdom and insight, and heat is a great metaphor for love. So the love of divinity is like the heat of the sun as it reaches us, which we can close our eyes. We can put covers over our eyes, what we're going to feel. I sit sometimes in our, in our backyard and I, I marvel at that something 93.2 million miles away reaches me and warms yeah. my body. I mean, this is nuts. Uh, if you think about it in a paradigmatically interested way. So again, we're touching lots of bases here, but one of the reasons the earth is confused is that we're confused about the nature of love. Uh, and, and our philosophies and our religions I offer have failed us because it wasn't yet time in our consciousness evolution for us to become aware of the deeper source material of our own being. Now, now it's time. There's still something itchy for me about bringing this really home, and that is to say, I just imagine someone saying, well, I think I'm in touch with my deepest emotivities. I've felt the love of the divine or spirit or whatever. Um, you know, how can you say that there's something deeper that people are not getting to? It's, 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 it's until someone's actually experienced mm -hmm. raw emotion or the emotive level of the divine, it's very hard to get that across, isn't it? Like, what would you say to someone well, in that situation, I would, I would say that um, what you're what you're experiencing, of course, is real, but it's not the causative um, uh, aspect of the stream. Mm -hmm. That there's an upstream one that I think, therefore, I am. I have a will, therefore, I am. I am energy, therefore, I am. Screen out the doorway to experience this causative part of the chain. And that, that's the point I'm making here. It's not about judging uh, you, that someone's uh, uh, perception of divine love is uh, somehow lacking. It's about having been numbed down by I think, therefore I am, I am energy, therefore I am. I, all, all these other I thinks or I wills, they screen out. They not only screen out what we're trying to get across here, uh, experience of, they, they completely block off curiosity also in so many people to even consider that what you're experiencing in divine of divine beings love is going through your own filters and identity offers a way to clean those filters, unclog them 
by rebasing the primacy of human consciousness and emotivity, not mentality, not physicality, not energetics, and not transcendental nothingness. So that's what I would say in a big okay. picture. Oh, that's great. How, how do you know when you've reached that level, the emotive level, and, uh, as opposed to an energetic level in any given moment or circumstance? Uh, you, um, you literally, uh, like the old Bible story uh, about Saul Paul, you get knocked off your high horse. Uh, the moment before where you thought you had life uh, pretty much handled and understood well enough to get along and not rob the corner 7-Eleven or, um, or kill someone because uh, they shortchanged you at, at, uh, the, depart at, uh, um, at the drive through window. Um, the, the dynamic that we're talking about is, is feelable only through emotivity. And so the person wouldn't, wouldn't if, unless they fell on the floor and were completely lost control in the divine presence, they're not in the divine presence. But that's not, doesn't make them wrong, that they're right where they should be. But identity simply says, look, there's another way to deepen what you're already on the road of. Um, you can defilter your experience of divinity by only one means, and that is by working your consciousness algorithm. And who teaches us how to work uh, our consciousness algorithm of perception and evaluation? Identity has a system for that that can, that is, can be done at least partially by everyone, uh, starting with thinking paradigmatically. So that's what I would say. It's not about criticizing anyone's level, but be curious. If you hold, I'm, I'm in touch with the fullness of divine being. Well, you're just an absolutist. And I, I'm sorry, I can't talk with you. Mm -hmm. um, are you curious? Are you curious that there's something beyond what you've experienced so far? Isn't that what learning is all about? Are you open to learning? Curiosity, you see? This is why it's taken me 40 years uh, uh, um, to get to this place is because the world just does is not curious about anything that challenges their sacred cows, especially in religion, yeah. um, which has such a wonderful history of how, deal, how they deal with dissent, don't you think? <laughs> oh, just, ask, just ask any woman alive who's, had, who's been incarnating the last thousand years. Yeah. Um, so... Oh, that's another one. Reincarnation. That's a lovely conversation, too. Um, well, we've teased that a number of times. You know, I guess uh, we're just going to have to feel our way through that. But we do have on our agenda for the next three episodes, um, which are going to be on uh, the three things that make identity different from all other paradigms. Mm -hmm. And we've already set that up really well because we've been talking about uh, emotive primacy, which I believe is what you usually have as the first one. We've already treated it a bit. Uh, so that's a good place to start. I think this is probably a good place to close. Anything else you want to add? Um, just that um, my heart goes out to listeners here who went, who were, had trouble following the thread um, uh, of our of our talk today. It really it really bounced and echoed around like a pinball machine uh, because that is more than last time. <laughs> yes, more than last time. I think so. Yeah. Uh, and that's the nature of the holoarchy, exactly yeah. what Joseph started out this uh, segment about. So my heart goes out to you, but try not to put this, what we're saying, into the compartments in your head. Try to feel it in your chest. 
uh, what we're saying. And if you get hung up on some of the language, well, maybe one day we'll have a phone in uh, bank, you know? Yeah, I thought of that. Yeah, I'd love to. And, and, and you can ask directly, uh, um, but um, trying to feel what's behind what our words are saying, because at stake is you finally being able to hug your own soul in a way that is counterintuitive and not been taught to you by Eastern or Western spiritual uh, paradigms. So that's how I'd like to end with today. And my heart goes out to you and stick with us. You'll, yeah. It's going to be worth it. You'll see. I think well, I just want to add to that a bit. It's, it's difficult because we're not just taught to think linearly uh, and to learn linearly. We're taught that that's the only way learning is like, that's, that's it. So you we're, we're exposed to whatever it is. And if it doesn't fit in a mental linear hierarchical way, Right. then it looks confusing, disorganized, um, unusable. And right. um, what we're pointing to, that, that's sort of proof of what we're saying. Because what we're saying is like, yeah, exactly. if somebody's doing a heart surgery on me, I very much want them to think reductionistically, linearly, <laughs> mentally. I want them making anything up. I don't Absolutely. want them. Yeah, I want, I want them using their mind. Mm -hmm. um, but if I am uh, uh, making love, uh, that's not what I want to be going on at all. Um, it, it's it's a right tool for the right place and the right circumstance. And we're not taught that the, I mean, it's a yin and yang thing. You know, we're not taught that both of those are important. We're taught that one is important and there's nothing else. It's absolute. Yes. It's um, and that, in that way, what, what I just heard you say behind the behind the behind mm. was that I'm using the mind to try to perceive or experience uh, divinity is like using a microscope to look at the stars or water. What's the metaphor you use so often? Uh, a net to pick up water. Yes. Uh -huh. Very That's useful true. tool. Yes. Not for this job. Not for this job, but for heart surgery. Amen to that. Uh, mm -hmm. But we're, we're talking about neo transcendental metaphysics um, and how it applies to thinking, feeling, emoting, and physicalizing as human beings. There's a, there's a good subset for our title. For here. sure. It also makes, yeah. It also makes me think of how the, the conversation, the colloquial conversation about the divine is always, do you believe in God? Right. <laughs> yes. Which immediately says, are you using your mental body to yes. try to conjure that which is, from our perspective, not encounterable by the mental yes. body? Exactly. <laughs> And then, and then for philosophers, they do a more esoteric version of that, and they try to prove the existence of God, yes. which is that, that, it's that also me, an operation of the mind. Yeah, I um, that 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 dynamic. On Monday, Wednesdays, and Fridays, I laugh. On Tuesday, Wednesday, Tuesdays, Thursdays, and Saturdays, I cry. And on Sunday, I do both. Um, using the mind to try to prove God is like using a net to pick up water, like you just said. So in these domains, the fact that you were befuddled or nothing went into categories in your mind that you're used to hearing and you, and, and you and one reaction to that would be, why would I keep listening to this? It's, it's, I don't know what's going on here, but that's the point. You gotta shake up, you've gotta shake up the way your mind has been conditioned to stratify and, and um, uh, hierarchalize uh, uh, knowledge 
instead learn to uh, hear and speak and feel from a different place than your head, which is not a new, a new piece of news, but yeah. how, how to do that. Yeah. That's, that's the question before us here. Yeah. And one more thing, I think I want to say just the last thing. Um, one of the things that I, um, I love about identity and is, um, yeah, it, how it can be um, utterly unique, truly unique in certain premises. And at the same time, uh, brings very old ideas into new light. I have like, I think one of the last few episodes I talked about the Meister Eckhart quote, which I think is 1300 ish um, of uh, your belief in God is what uh, stops you from experiencing it, which I would absolutely agree with. And so there's so many things that you say, I wish we could have like a ticker tape at the bottom of the screen. That's like (laughs) footnoting all of the teachers throughout history who would absolutely agree with that and said that, and it's not new at all. (laughs) <laughs> which validates identity in many ways um, because it's carrying that forward. And then there's other ways in, in which principles like the primacy of the emotional body, which heretofore no other teacher has ever said, mm-hmm. and that those two things can go together, that some mm-hmm. of the wisest, most esoteric stuff can be um, validated with also a completely new set of premises at the same time. I mean, that's just mind boggling how that can happen. Yeah. I- I, I love the way you put that together because uh, in my earlier years, I made a vow not to study anyone else's paradigms. Mm-hmm. I didn't want to be a synthesizer or a cursor. I, I wanted what something is inside me and it wants to unfold and I don't know what it is. So, and I don't want to, I don't want any benchmarks that um, other, other teachings have said. So when someone, I, I didn't know that there were, that Meister Eckhart said that um, I, I was teaching, you can't, you can't ever encounter the real God while you believe in it. And then someone said, well, you know, Meister Eckhart said that. And I said, you're shitting me. <laughs> and so these are the kinds of things that I wanted to keep this as pure as possible as it ran through my own imperfect being to try to keep it as pristine. And then secondarily, after I got the framework for identity worked out to some minimum way, then I started looking for correlates and I was astounded how pieces of this have been drifting through mankind, humankind's consciousness for millennia, but not all the pieces knew how to fit together. Yeah. Um, because you can't transfer a, a crossword puzzle or, or um, a, a puzzle piece from one puzzle to another. You you have to find a new whole puzzle design to include all these puzzle pieces from the past and put them together in a new way. Wow, that's a beautiful metaphor. Okay, well, let's close here. And thank you so much, Stace. It's illuminating reliably and inevitably and wonderfully. So thank you. You're so welcome. It's such a joy to me too. Really, you can keep, we keep saying this all the time. When we open and close. Well, I'm really grateful for this opportunity. Blah, blah, blah. <laughs> but oh man, uh, to be able to talk to a fellow paradigmatic thinker um, mm. is so lovely. Yeah, I'm always lit up by these conversations for at least a day or two. So until all next right. time, we'll close here. Thanks for listening. Okay. Thanks for listening to the Heart of Soul podcast. To learn more about Stace Barron and Identity, please visit identity.org. To learn more about Joseph Shapiro, visit clearandopen.com. Until next time, we wish you well on your journey.